You're listening to Build for Impact, brought to you by MarketScale, with your host, Daniel Heward. Good morning, everyone. This is Daniel Heward uh, coming to you again with a new episode of Build for Impact. Today, I'm joined by a really awesome colleague and friend who I met at the Living Future Conference all the way back in 2013 in Seattle. Rami Vagal, who is the Senior Sustainability Manager with Mohawk, uh, Mohawk Industries. She's a uh, well AP, a lead AP, also uh, an architect, uh, studied at IIT in Chicago, a multidisciplinary professional, strong background in sustainability and architecture. Uh, And at Mohawk, Rami leads their strategic sustainability initiatives that create their positive impacts on social, cultural, economic, and environmental aspects of of what they do. She takes these complex technical concepts, translates them into actionable items, and then using that to align with and meet with the company's sustainability vision and strategies. I'm going to get started right away because Rami's got such an amazing depth of experience from, you know, doing what she does in a daily job to being an advocate for Living Building Challenge to sitting on the USGBC Lead Materials and Resources Technical Advisory Group. Again, really awesome colleague. Rami, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? And thank you so much for this opportunity. Good morning to you and our audiences. Well, thank you, Rami. So let's jump straight into it because you've got such a vast background. Let's uh, let's get your thoughts on sustainability as one of my pillars in Bill for Impact. Um, your your thoughts on sustainability, the the evolution of us, uh, you know, knowing about it, and in your thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, even my understanding of sustainability has evolved over a period of time. Uh, for me, when I grew up in India, and as a, as especially as I studied architecture, sustainability was something that wasn't like a trend. It was something that you just did as a means of survival, um, as well as like uh, through the coursework itself, like understanding the urban issues and challenges, whether it's related to natural disasters such as flooding, impacting some of the underdeveloped communities or any kind of social economic studies that throughout my architecture school, we worked on so many different kind of projects. And that gave me a really good understanding um, without like necessarily using the word sustainability, we were actually like getting educated about it. And then over a course of the period of time, when I moved to the US, which is much more developed country, Um, I started understanding a little bit more from the broader standpoint, like such as corporate sustainability. So earlier, my view was very much about the built environment. And then slowly, slowly, I started understanding that how the economic and social side of sustainability play a vast role in this whole arena. And now I'm seeing more and more uh, focus on like the social equity component, social impact, uh, ecosystems and how just the industry has evolved, um, not just looking at it from one lens. So to share my perspective, I think like any organization um, should not look at sustainability from just one aspect. It should be considered something which is more holistic um, as well as like ingrained into your strategic planning and initiatives um, and not just looked at as a standalone component. 
Rami, you just touched down on one of the reasons why, you know, when I started this, I said uh, uh, to the to the organizers that I wanted to focus on what I term my pillars. And, and I'm really proud that USGBC has actually, you know, laid out the virtually the same pillars. Uh, and one that you touched down on very importantly, and, and I, I say it's a key thing for resilience, is uh, is equity. And, you know, I know that we've worked a lot on uh, working to be inclusive, but, you know, in equity, we, we don't turn a blind eye on socioeconomic um, aspects of, of what's going on versus the project versus the people involved. We try to engage more people and, and bring solutions. Um, and, and one of those things I love in your, in your bio, uh, we touched down about uh, hand printing and, um, you know, anybody who understands what Living Building Challenge is about, the most stringent green building rating system on the planet, um, realizes that we're, we're trying to do restorative development, which uh, I'm always proud to share and uh, in, in happy that I've done some of those projects. Can you um, share with our audience, because I know you guys have been greatly involved in it, um, the concept of hand printing and how important it is? So essentially, one of the things that draw... Um you know, makes us very, makes myself and Mohawk very intrigued with hand printing is the fact that it takes into account not only the environmental component, but the social component. So the essence of hand printing is um, you can't just, you can't just figure out ways to like reduce your footprint. It is not just about like um, doing less harm. It is more than that. It is about how can you first reduce your own footprint, but how can you help somebody else reduce their footprint as well? How can you help somebody else create a positive impact? And so I'd like to use an example of one of the hand printing projects that we have done. So we, um, as part of the Living Product Challenge certifications, we partnered with a couple of HBCUs. And in, a, in, in those projects, we retrofitted their older shower heads, which were really like high flow fixtures with low flow shower heads. Now, essentially what that does is it hits a couple of different points. Um, first of all, it helps us educate somebody else who is not really part of the certification, but may not be familiar with living products and renewable technology and any kind of sustainability aspects. It helps us educate them. It helps us like do water conservation, uh, but with a social co-benefit. So, we first have to figure out like how to reduce the footprint of our own product. And that's one part of it. But through this effort, we're helping somebody else reduce their impact and create an, and create a positive impact in the community. So that essentially is the concept of hand printing is that it's not just about you. Anybody who is part of the supply chain and stakeholder um, should be able to like create a positive impact as well. So this is just one example of the projects that we have done um, in the efforts that it will grow so that if we do something, then we hold them responsible to go out there and do more projects as well. So it's more like a ripple effect where it keeps on giving. And that's the idea of hand printing that really um, attracts us towards that whole concept. And um, from the organization standpoint also, how can we make that a part of our overall sustainability strategy. Yeah, I, I love that example. It's a really good one. I worked with a, a utility company when we built uh, new offices for them. And, and part of the outreach that we did was to um, 
actually develop a very large solar field. But in addition to the solar field that made them net positive um, in, in, you know, a good portion of the community as well, net positive, they didn't have access to natural gas. So everything was run electric. That's, you know, in an ideal world, um, you know, we're looking to electrify buildings so that we can do a better accounting of the carbon impact of them. But in this instance, we put together a really robust program around solar thermal. And, and actually, the residents would pay a $25 fee to just get the design done for their solar thermal. And the utility would uh, install the solar thermal system and solar hot water tank for them. And basically, they would get a reduced electrical charge. Um, you know, there was, there was an element in there where they saved $5 per month on what their, their previous trending charge was and that was paying for the solar hot water installation uh, you know so their conservation and their commitment to it actually saved them money while committing more to the uh the, the community and in a net benefit in seven years time they own the system um so so it was a really interesting hand printing exercise that we did around that point in time when when we started all of this you know back in 2014-15 and, uh, you know, I guess another great example was when we were all together at Greenbuild in Los Angeles in 2016, when we did that hand printing workshop to introduce designers and practitioners to it. Um, and we were set up in a really great spot outdoors at the convention center in, in Los Angeles doing it. It was a really, really fun exercise, a really fun to be part of. And, you know, it, it sets me up really good to, to ask you about... Our next pillar uh, that, that I look at, and in, in that's uh, resiliency. And, and remember, I introduced the, the concept uh, that, you know, we need to have equity in everything, and we cannot have resiliency without a connection to, to equity. So, uh, I, again, I know you got huge background in this one from a, a lot of the stuff you've done. Your thoughts on, on equity, Rami? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that I think um, it's really important and I've seen a lot of momentum, even from the building uh, certification standpoint, is how to like incorporate social equity. Uh, and I think like everybody who is a stakeholder in this, whether it's manufacturers, whether it's designers and specifiers or whether it's, um, um, I would say, like end users, like everybody has to be mindful about like the social equity component of it in the sense that, um, so like if as an architect, I would be mindful about how can I design the space to make it equitable and accessible to anybody. Um, and But that also really depends on uh, one of the things sometimes in my experience, I feel like we forget about is like the like the geographical regions where where we are. So I'll use an example about some of the projects that we have done. Right. So the smart flower project that we undertook um, as part of living product certification but it was essentially like installing 10 smart flower projects across the US in in the hand printing efforts itself to um, educate like younger students um, on like renewable technology. And that kind of project really makes sense in the US because of the infrastructure already there and people already being aware about it. But such as like if I reflect back to where I am from in India and um, where it's still developing. So I would think like some of their challenges are related to like accessible clean water and uh, safety and hygiene. So if I had to develop a strategy over there uh, from equitable standpoint, 
something that's more rele- relevant to that geographic region would be would be better served than um installing a smart flower which could be an expensive project over there and may not serve as many people um or if they're trying to meet some of the other basic needs you know so when we think about equity i think one has to be very mindful about what audience or what section of the society you are addressing to and then develop those strategies um which will benefit them the most so it cannot be one size fits all especially when it comes to equity yeah really great um you know basis of, of dialogue on that one you you hit a whole bunch of things and made sure you stitched it back to equity in in you know the 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 thing that i love about our dialogues is that when when we uh are looking at these things we're always focusing on uh, on a solution that's inclusive and and i'm really appreciative of, of that effort and i know that we've done a lot of this together um in workshops with ilfi and we've done stuff at greenbuild and you just talked about the uh the, the solar flower which is a kind of portable solar device that that's like a flower the petals spread out didn't you guys with Mohawk uh, bring a bunch of those to Boston for Greenbuild in 2017 to to do stuff? I know we had them there, but I didn't know if it was a Mohawk initiative or somebody else's. No, I think that was like the Smart Flower Bay themselves wanted to inst- like do an exhibit over there. I don't think we got them that. Uh, our projects have been, um, we did one in Chicago uh, and we had an um, like a small event there Um during Neocon that we showcased the smart flower there, but the other projects, yeah. But the other projects have been, one is in Eden, North Carolina. There's one in Baltimore. Um, and uh, we're still talking to a couple of more projects as well. There is one in Cocoa Beach, Florida. So Brownsville, uh, who is headed by Michelle Moore, they were our partners in that and helping us identify some of the schools and community centers that could benefit from the smart flower project so they have been tremendous partners in 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 a way to identify somebody who could truly benefit from that initiative and we have also done some research on our own through our um, network of uh, partners to find some schools that we can partner with on our own as well so it's been a learning experience in the sense that some of these organizations we have never met before or did not ho- ho- did not hear about, and it's it's good to see how they benefit from it and what they're going to leverage and create some educational opportunities out of that. Yeah, it, I think it's just an awesome initiative. Anytime you can introduce stuff, um, you know, I've done a lot of work here locally with uh, with school gardens, um, helping start that. I've done work with uh, you know the the magnet schools, uh, mentoring and educating done a lot of work with Las Vegas Springs Preserve in, you know, expanding their view of, of sustainability. You know, that's the a project I got very lucky I got to work on. Uh, the You know, still, from what I understand, the world's largest lead platinum certified campus um, that, you know, that basically made a uh, an experience on how to live sustainability, sustainably, excuse me, in the in the desert, in a desert environment. Um, really, really fun projects to be involved in. And, you know, I know that you've got a ton of experience in, in our next pillar. Um, and that, that next pillar is the material transparency one. And you've done a lot of work on the material transparency attributes of Living Building Challenge, as well as Lead and others. And, and you know, you're 
an expert in the field, obviously, you sit on the material and resources tag with uh, with USGBC. So your thoughts on material transparency? So I think one of the things that when um, remember, I don't know if you remember or not, but the letter that the A&D community has had written to manufacturers a couple of years ago, asking about the transparency information about the, the chemical components of the products as well as life cycle impacts. And I think that really drove that conversation and programs such as Living Willing Challenge, which were the forefront of it, like they essentially like with the whole, uh, uh, like we had to do material databases. And from that point, I think the industry has evolved so much in, in, within the past couple of years, like not just looking at um, one component, not just looking at disclosing, but also like how do you eliminate the chemicals of concern and come up with alternate chemistries um, as well as like how do you optimize these so whether it's um, through declare labels and HPDs or whether it's through EPDs and the life cycle assessment and then under undergoing certification such as living product challenge and actually creating a product that gives back more I think overall like personally for us like Mohawk has come a long way in that journey I, I, I think it is only going to grow where um, there will be more and more focus on this. What I also feel is like it would be really helpful as an industry if there was some streamlining of some of these certifications where I feel like as a manufacturer, sometimes it becomes very, very hard um, to try to meet like so many different elements. So if there was like some streamlining of these certifications, that would be really helpful. But I can understand from the designer standpoint too, because there is so many labels and so many certifications that they have to like look into. Um, and I feel like as an industry, if we make it easier for them, it would be it would gain more momentum in adoption. We have definitely seen a lot more requests for it, but we would like to like see that um, as such, like the effort that ILFI and the LP50 group is doing on the closing the transparency loop. So I think the adoption of that will increase faster if the process was more streamlined and the information was more easily accessible and the understanding of the different complexities um, of these programs would become easier. So then the material transparency adoption would be faster than we would have we, uh, we see right now. Yeah, so I'm going to do a plug right now for the Net Zero 2020 conference uh, that vertical group hosts that we're going to speak at a, a special uh, event for on the didactic between sustainability and material transparency. And we're going to actually do that on the 10th of September. So for our listeners, look for that. Um, and I just so that you know, uh, because you're going to be one of the participants in it, uh, we're going to do a, a, a dual um, broadcast of that. So we're going to do the, the broadcast of it is part of the Net Zero 2020 program, and our Build for Impact will actually also share that that session that we uh, that we do um, as as something that's that's integral because of the importance of of this. Um, I want to touch down on uh, something that uh, that we do with um, uh, you know in in our work with Global Green Tag um, in. You know, our product health declaration has gone to that transparency disclosure at 100 ppm level, which is very, very uh, small. But what we're really looking to do is make sure that that the products in use for the end user 
are really safe. And we're one of the few people who do that. Uh, but the, the, I guess what I was getting to is um, those products are shared in an open database that the public can get to and use. And, and we're finding people, uh, our clients are really happy about that. Um, and, and, and Mohawk uh, is one of our clients as well. Um, so so that, that information on the positive attributes of the product is shared. How important is that? Is that easy access for the end user? You know, normally we're doing this for, for the project to specify and be included in, in like a lead project. How important is that for the, for the end user? What's your thoughts on that? I think it is really the easy access is definitely really important from, from the end user and A&D standpoint because we get so many requests about sometimes people not understanding the difference between the certification platforms the complexity levels of it. And as a manufacturer, we try to educate what are the pros and cons as well as like what one means versus the other. But with so many um, organizations coming up with so many different certifications, I think at least there needs to be a database. And one of the databases like Mindful Materials does a good job of streamlining these certifications. And I think the more we can do that, that would be very much uh, help the, help the um, the specifiers like choose these products. At the same time, I think uh, we talk about this often on the materials tag as well, um, that even in the certification, the green building certification programs itself, if there is more clarity on how to achieve these credits or sometimes like directly telling the, the specifiers or project teams what to look for, then that makes it very easy for them to, I think it is really the communication um, between like manufacturers and the specifiers and everybody in between really needs to be streamlined for broader adoption of this. Um, that's the number one concern that we get um, even for our sales team to communicate that information. Like they have to communicate so much about the cost, the design, um, the installation methods. So when you add sustainability information and if it's not streamlined or if it's not simple, then it, they, it just creates something, it just creates a discomfort. And that's why um, we, as sustainability professionals, need to do a good job of um, making it easier for them to use um, use that info. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, uh, I know that uh, Mindful Materials has been great, the work that they've done with with coalescing those, those uh, uh, different sets of uh, in products that that really contribute greatly to the success of green building projects uh is great and i really like the the work that uh that that you guys have done as a tag and our, our colleague wes sullins has done with usgbc in getting three major databases of of materials in a in a, a platform um for people to search and you know i know that that we uh with with green tag our api is is we share it readily so it's connected to these databases and what's really interesting about what we do um and, and sorry to be singular focused on that is that we make sure the database isn't just a static thing it's dynamic it's live so when your product goes th through its annual review um that that data gets in there when your product gets you know a new certification that that is in there and it's it's connected um you know, there's there's a virtual vision to what's the current status of it, which I think is very effective for for designers and stuff. 
Um, but I also love the fact that the end user can go in and look at, you know, the s several thousand, I think we've got 16,000 products um, certified um, across, uh, you know, not just building materials, but but all kinds of products. And they get to see how beneficial those are, um, in, in you know, for the end user. Um, and, and I think that benefit for the end user sets us up for the from the last of my pillars, and that's that's wellness. And I know that because of your advocacy work and your your deep engagement in living building challenge, that um, wellness is is at the forefront. I, I, I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Oh, oh also, you're a well AP, so I, I don't really have to set up what wellness is. So, yeah, we have, and especially with the current situation that we are in, I think like wellness and the whole connection of like built environment to like human health has definitely become like forefront of the conversation. And, um, but overall, I think like we need to focus on overall well-being. So like mental health is a big component of it. Environmental health is, and I like that, like even not just from like standpoint of like architects and designers, but even so like, um, as an organization, so like the, so who are basically the clients as well, like end users have started to, um, take a deep interest in like how, like we can tangibly create like green building and healthy building together. So they're not just focusing on like some of the more measurable components such as energy or water use, but they're also focusing on like choosing better products or designing spaces um, with biophilia or biophilic design in mind. And we see a lot more end user expectations in those regards, which then drives the architects and designers to create spaces in that fashion as well. So definitely there is a lot of focus on overall well-being indoor as well as outdoors. And um, especially I think like now um, we, we will see that how companies will focus on like, you know, even with like stuff like flexibility in workplaces. So how can one like design their schedule so that it allows them to like get rest it, you're not overworked and i think that will become a prime um element also um additionally i think like one needs to focus a little bit more holistically on um, um like mental health so by that i mean is that um and i know that some people are more interested some people are overwhelmed but with like traditional yoga and like focusing on like more mindfulness and meditation. I think that will really, I've seen so many people during this pandemic that have like taken to that just because like this is a, this is a unique situation that nobody had dealt with before and they don't know how to operate, like especially in isolation and stuff. So they have turned over to like uh, doing more meditation and more holistic way of incorporating wellness related um, aspects into their lives. So I just think that it is going to increase more and more um, and workplaces will have to adopt to those as well. Don't you think so? Do you agree with that? I, I really do. And I really like how you um, brought to the forefront that, that we have a need for a work-life balance in, in some of the attributes that, that can contribute positively to that. I also like the fact that you uh, shared that, you know, in order to succeed with any design that we're a part of, we have to consider the user's experience and make sure that they feel welcome in that environment. So, so thank you so very much for, for sharing that, um, you know, at the, at the level that you have. Um, you know, it, it's amazing. I love these Build for Impact sessions because 
uh, you know, the, the time flies while we're doing it because our dialogue is so fun. Um, you know, I, uh, I want to get out a, a plug for the Net Zero uh, conference uh, because it's a really cool event that we get to participate in. And it, it sees us move forward in several att attributes of, of uh, both societal engagement and green building. Um, and then I want to return to you uh, with huge thanks, Rami, for joining us today. And uh, some, some final thoughts uh, on, on uh, Build for Impact and uh, what you'd like to see in the future. No, I think, uh, first of all, thank you for this opportunity. It has been a great um, experience chatting with you. And I like the nature of the podcast that we don't have a, it's not a scripted podcast. Uh, we have a more informal dialogue. So that way, like one question can lead to another and it gives for a good conversational element of it. I think one of the things that I would like to see um, is also sometimes this is for design uh, for impact, but um, I don't know if you've done previously, but some of the end users and organizations that what are their thoughts and some of the sustainability leaders from those and what are their expectations, like how the built environment should respond and what would they like to see into their projects and as an organizations where they are going forward. So I'd like to see more of that content as well and then how we as an industry can respond to that. So that might be a great addition. Um, besides that, I know that because of the green tag involvement, you are, um, you work with some of your Australian counterparts as well. So I'd like to hear more from some of the global um, professionals as well, if they can share what is happening in their, um, um, you know, world and how they are seeing what kind of movements they see happening throughout. So it would be an interesting perspective to have with a little bit more diverse group of people as well. Thank you for teeing that up. I'm smiling on my end uh, because, uh, you know, I've got sessions planned uh, with, with people in the Pacific Rim and other places on the planet um, that, that we work with, uh, you know, for future sessions of Build for Impact. And, um, you know, it's really great. I love the relationship I have with, uh, you know, with USGBC, uh, China, and in well Asia and the Pacific Rim, working with Tony, working with Jack. Um, and and it, it's really awesome. I loved how, you know, I get to Shanghai at Greenbuild and, you know, there's like an open arms thing. People are really grateful that you're there. Uh, you know, not that, that we're uh, celebrities or anything, but there are people who know what we've <laughs> done in the green building world and, and you know, the, the uh, commitment we've had. To, to do great things. Uh, so thank you for teeing that up for us, Rami, um, because, you know, that's those those people like like, uh, um, you know, from B and and in uh, the others I've shared um, talking about what we've done globally. And actually, I had an, uh, a, a podcast with uh, John Harrison, who is the guy who's done more than sixteen hundred lead certified projects globally. Um and, and that one was a great one because we did talk mostly about the, the whole world impact um, of things that we, we've managed to be able to do uh, successfully. And, um, you know, I've got uh, feelers out for, for Cesar in Mexico to talk about stuff that we've done there in Latin America. Um, so, so, yeah, really spreading that. And it's really wonderful to hear from one of our uh, interviewees, uh, contributors to Build for Impact, 
um, some suggestions for for the future. So I, I'm super thankful for that. Awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. So I would like to, again, thank you. Uh, thank our listeners. Uh, again, send us comments, questions, and ideas like great ideas that Rami just shared for future episodes for Build for Impact. Again, thank you for being part of today and look forward to our next episode and the Net Zero Conference uh, coming up in September um, in Los Angeles. Have a great day.